I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kinda Cute, and if you're new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan, I'm your host, and on Kinda Cute, we discuss articles from The Cut and my general pop culture musings. I was afraid I was going to be a little rusty doing that this week because I skipped it last week for our special Mayorcraft episode, which I hope you guys loved. I loved it. Um, I literally did sign up for the Six Man Productions newsletter, the ones who run those music cruises, and... I'm just waiting for there to be a musician that I want to see, and I honestly think I might go, and I'll let you guys all know about it. It can be a whole kind of cute extravaganza. Also, it's been a little while since I've promoted myself, so I just, as usual, wanted to let you guys know that I love podcasting, but... I feel like the way that this is going to be able to keep going is if you guys share this with a friend if you like it, follow me at Bailey Evan or at Kind of Cute Podcast, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. I know it seems like I'm asking a lot, but I swear these things only take like two seconds. And if this podcast has ever brought you joy, I would just appreciate it so, so much. Uh, You know, I can't go an episode without talking about an odd celeb pairing. So I have to mention that Grace Gummer, who is Meryl Streep's daughter, and Mark Ronson, DJ, uh, Uptown, Funk It Up, you know that one? Um, they are allegedly engaged. And Mark Ronson is my friend Elena's like number one celebrity crush. So I just wanted to give her, you know, my condolences on air. It's a sad time for us all. He's actually like been married before and he's getting kind of up there in age. And I want to say there's a little bit of a gap between him and Grace Gummer, but, you know, interesting pairing. She seems kind of like down-to-earth vibes. I'm literally just getting that from looking at her. She actually looks a lot like Meryl Streep. Um, so, yeah, now his mother-in-law is going to be Meryl Streep, which is just wild. I mean, he's really getting in there. He already has such an entertainment family, and joining forces with the Streeps and the Gummers, I mean, watch out, world. Do you guys remember when I talked about the petition to change the name of Ronald Reagan Airport, DCA and DC, to the Jojo Siwa International Airport. And I was like, what is a petition that we could do on Kind of Cute that would make sense for us? So guys, I started one. I'm kind of embarrassed because now I'm afraid that somehow this will be like, come up with my name when you Google me. But I literally started a change.org petition to make sure the Mayorcraft 3 happens. I just felt like someone had to do it. I'll read you my little description. You know, I did it kind of on a whim, like out of break at work. So it's not the best, but it's called Help John Mayer's Music Cruise Festival, the Mayorcraft 3 Set Sail. It's started by Kind of Cute Podcasts. It has a picture of him in his monokini. It says, from February 1st, 2008 to February 8th, 2008, the Mayorcraft set sail. With it came the birth of John Mayer and his infamous neon green Borat-inspired monokini. The next year, on March 27th, 2009, the Mayorcraft 2 set sail. Both cruises were four days of music festival meets cruise fodder. Myself and many others did not attend either. With the 20-year anniversary of Room for Squares occurring and John Mayer's new album Sob Rock coming out this summer, there's no better way to commemorate the occasion and allow more people a chance to experience this thing. <laughs> 
this thing. Wow, great, great English, Bailey. This petition writer is aware of Mayer's misogynistic ways, but maybe this is a chance for him to redeem himself. P.S. Listen to Kind of Cute Podcast Episode 2 if you want to hear one woman's experience on the Mayorcraft 2. If JoJo Siwa can sign a petition to change the name of Ronald Reagan Airport to JoJo Siwa Airport, the Mayorcraft 3 can happen. Sign if you think the Mayorcraft 3 should happen. So I will obviously have a Oh, guys, I hadn't even published it yet. I'm an idiot. I'm on the page reading it, and it says, edit or publish. <laughs> okay, so I just published it. Um, it's live. It'll be linked in the show notes. I just tweeted about it. Let's go. Let's make it happen. Um, there is a new column at The Cut, and it's called Are You Coming? And When I got an email about this happening, I was so intrigued because the concept of it was this 23-year-old named Brock Collier was going to go out, have wild nights, and write about it. And his first one was this diary of going out with this guy who's on OnlyFans. He's queer, but he's with a woman who he impregnated, and she's about to have the baby. And this guy is Wilden. His name is, I think it's... Oh shit, I'm I'm like blanking out on it. Remy Duran. Um and the amount of drug use, it just makes me realize like as much as I could think I'm like a party girl and I like to go out, I I have nothing on these people. And I, my friends would be like, Bailey, you're not a party girl. You know, I do, as I've gotten older, like my ways have changed. But I would say back in the day, I loved a night out. I loved staying out late. When two o'clock came around, I was like, it's two o'clock already? No. Now the thought of staying out till like 4 a.m. And I've never really used any hard drugs. Like these people are just casually snorting bumps of ketamine in the cl- in the bars I don't know. It's worth reading. It's very interesting, but I'm just like, how do people also feel comfortable like putting this out on New York Mag? It's a lot. I just wanted to alert you guys to that column. Maybe we'll discuss one more in depth in the future. But speaking about New York people, niche culture, and like hanging out in uh, the East Village, Caroline Calloway, I know we, you know, I can't go that long without talking about her. She just manages to somehow keep herself continuously relevant. She had the wildest stories the other day. So a couple, like last week, she was like, oh, I just dumped this fuck boy. Like, I'm so happy. I'm so free. And then she started posting about how she was going to meet up with this girl that he had been dating for five months before her and uh, broke up with this girl literally just to get clout to be with Caroline Calloway. And I'm sorry, if you're if you're new here, Caroline Calloway is an influencer. She rose to fame when she went to Cambridge and she wrote about it in a very fairy tale way. And over the years, she's kind of emerged into this just complete New York character. Uh, she has an OnlyFans where she dresses up as like literary characters. It's just been a whole journey. She's been accused of being a scammer of Firefest levels. Again, if you wanna I have a lot of episodes about her. Episode nine, you can go back and listen to them. Uh, but she so she meets with this girl who had dated this guy beforehand. Now, it turns out that the girl is 17 years old. The guy is 26 years old. And he works for, well, I don't want to say, I don't want to like dox people, but like obviously this guy's a dirtbag. And if you do a little digging and you want to find out, you can 
she posted on her Instagram, so I'm sure if you just Google, you can find it. He works for a very prestigious law firm, so he's a lawyer. Like I said, he's 26 years old. Uh, apparently, he hangs out, you know, in the in the Lower East a lot, and um, he's just disgusting, a disgusting fuckboy. But the fact that she was posting this all over her stories was just wild. And then she was warning Violetta. Violetta is Ansel Elgort ex-girlfriend like I actually thought they were still together but apparently I apparently not because apparently this this man this boy 26 year old is trying to get with her too so it was just a whole mess it was so messy she so she eats dinner with the 17 year old and goes into like the details of it and they were Oh, it's just so I, I honestly hope the 17 year old presses charges. And I'm sorry, I can't even get my thoughts together about this because I'm disturbed. I'm again recording in the morning and it's just a lot for me to even think about in the morning. My heart goes out to girls with the, that that happens to because I feel like, you know, there's so many of them. They're 17. They feel like they're an adult. They're probably the same maturity level in their mind as a 26 year old. But the fact is they're still a child and just that power difference that taking advantage of them it's so disgusting to me Ugh, i don't know exactly what the age laws are for um sexual abuse in new york but i know here in florida that would not fly all right guys let's get into our articles of the day i'm so excited for this first one it's kind of long it's a little bit of a a deep dive and it's about zola the real zola Aziza King's Twitter tale of a strip club road trip gone awry is now a big buzzy movie. Now she's ready to make her story her own again by Allison P. Davis. You guys know I love Allison Davis, Baby Meatballs on Instagram. She's a classic on here. Every article she writes, she's so good at immersing you in the interview and what happened. And she always interviews her subjects in really interesting places that sort of just become an aspect of the story. I talked about Zola back in episode 83 and, you know, she she was a stripper who went on this sort of wild adventure and she tweeted about it. And it was a tweet thread that went super, super viral back in 2015. And before we get further into this, I have to say that hashtag strip talk is one of my favorite corners of TikTok. And it's not revealing or anything or about like watching strippers. It's pretty mundane in that it's strippers talking about what they do to get ready, how much money they make in a night, the hardships of stripping, the mind-body issues that come with it. And I think almost what draws it me to it the most is the friendships they have with the other girls that they kind of explain as making it all worth it and the bonds they have and they'll travel to different clubs all over this all over the states um which I, I didn't know that was something. I kind of thought you were a stripper at like one club and that was where you worked. But apparently like at these big like high-end clubs, a lot of times these girls will travel and they're almost like freelance strippers working at these clubs. And um, <laughs> she, at one point in this interview, Allison and Zola are at the Claremont Lounge in Atlanta, which is to me the most famous strip club in Atlanta and each time I've been there recently I've wanted to go and I never made it in and it's cool for I mean cool for quote unquote for many reasons but what is significant to me is that it's fully female owned 
So Allison explains that this is Zola's first night out in a long time and that she lives about 30 minutes north of Atlanta proper. And like I said, the Claremont Lounge is just one of the places this interview takes place because they have a full on night out together. (laughs) So as Allison explains, explains it, she's out with Zola and her mom. And um, they're they're having steaks at one of those restaurants where a DJ plays music at a conversation annihilating volume, which, you know, we talked about those are like the places the celebs like that's like a Drake type of place to eat. Yeah, like STK steak. Uh, It's exactly like that. And, you know, they talk about kind of their plans here tonight. Maybe they'll end up at Magic City, which is another really famous like high end strip club in Atlanta. And Allison says, is a strip club tour a little too thematically consistent? Maybe. But Zola, a 26-year-old with a nightlife stamina of a 26-year-old, could start at a club with a stack of $1,000 bills and end anywhere. She wants to show me that no story about her life is a match for the real thing. Oh, that gives me chills. I am so excited for this movie, guys. Oh, I am ready. And... Allison goes on to say, something about this night feels exceptional. For starters, A24, the studio behind the movie, A24 is infamous for doing a lot of like interesting indie films. You know an A24 film when you see it. And Harmony films. <laughs> Harmony Corinne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she is giving, um, the, I'm sorry, the studio is giving Zola perks that are, you know, re- usually reserved for the film stars because Zola's not in this movie about her life. It's casted with actors. So she was also given a PR ambassador by A24, and apparently the PR ambassador is worried about getting into Magic City because she's white and she's wearing a J. Crew shirt. <laughs> and then, um, I mean, she gets less worried. Allison writes as she's had, you know, spicy margaritas and shots, which, yes, girl, we love a spicy margarita up in here. And apparently Nichelle, who is Zola's mom, is so into this night too. They're just ready to kill it, go out, get it. Uh, but what I thought was really interesting is that Zola doesn't know what Claremont Lounge is. And they're just like, oh no, just wait and see. You're in for the time of your lives. The the mother and the publicists are saying, and they're giggling. And, you know, they, they go to Claremont. And apparently while they're there, Zola is like really into this one stripper. And she's saying that that's kind of what she liked about stripping was when she, like the admiration that people felt for her when she was up on stage and the intention that she got and eventually they go to magic city like i said that's more high end. claremont's more divey and they're just having a time there and i love that allison wrote this next paragraph because i tried to convey this in my last episode about zola as to why i think her thread went so viral and what I said in that episode is that at the core of it, I think she's a really engaging writer. And I think that kind of got glossed over because of the flashiness of the story. And, you know, it's not like she's using perfect grammar or anything, but you can tell she's a storyteller by this thread. And uh, Allison writes, Zola's good at the internet, but what really set her story apart was her writing. She was profane and smart. She was observant, captured dialogue, and landed jokes, a favorite part. He goes, wow, you even set up your friend. You such a hoe. So they arguing for hours. I'll even go down to the pool. I mean, I am in Florida. I actually talked about that exact line on my last episode because I don't know why, but it's just so funny. And she invented and popularized phrases and words people had never heard of, or at least didn't know you could say without getting canceled. One phrase, vibing over our hoism, was so revelatory she almost put it on a line of t-shirts. I mean, girl, it's not too late. Um, and she 
Zola kind of explains. I'm sorry. I, I'm taking coffee sips. I really do apologize. I should probably edit those out. Um, but Sola becomes so fascinated with how viral this story goes. I mean, she wasn't expecting it at all. She was incredulous as she saw people like Missy Elliott, Solange tweeting about her. She was getting ridden about by uh, Complex, MTV. And then Ava DuVernay, <laughs> this part cracked me up too. Apparently she tweeted and said erroneously that Zola was from the hood. And Zola tweeted back, I'm a suburban bitch. Still love you though. <laughs> I mean, she told Ava, you got to get those facts straight. And then they are leaving, you know, they're having their time at Magic City. Dollar bills are flowing. There's a lot of money turnover at Magic City, apparently. And it says, after a couple hours of spending too much money too fast at Magic City, we pile back into the car and are driving to the next club when the telltale splash of regurgitated liquor is emitted from the front seat, ending the night. I want to know who threw up. Was it Zola? Like, I just feel like Zola has more um, stamina than that. I'm wondering if it was the PR girl. Like, I don't feel like it was Allison. I don't know. That's a mystery that I would like to solve. Again, I said back in episode 83, I would die to have Zola on this podcast. I feel like if I have any chance of getting her on, I have to do it before the movie actually comes out or before they're on their, like, press cycle. But I feel like it's already too late. I think we're at that point. Uh, This article also notes that Zola is a Pisces, which tracks for me. And, um, you know, I was thinking as I was reading this, because whenever I read these things, I contextualize sort of like where social media was and is. And it's crazy because now a story like this comes and goes on TikTok. Like someone could share a story like this. It could go really viral on TikTok and they may gain tons of followers, but it's more fleeting and It's just more ephemeral, I feel like, because of how fast social media moves now. And um, there's actually a girl, not to get totally sidetracked, but there's a girl I've become really obsessed with on TikTok, and her name is like Mango Jewel Pod or something like that. And she's this girl with this really Southern accent. Like, she says men like men and pill like peels. And um, she's so cute. And she worked in, like, healthcare and... North Carolina and then she was like I want to get out of my small town and I'm gonna go to Miami and I'm gonna strip so this girl literally drives down to Miami and now is working at a strip club there and I've become so infatuated with her story like I I'd also would love to have her on because it's just so interesting to me I don't know I don't know maybe the strip talk is just draws me in because it's so different from my life and it just feels like something so far from what I'd ever like be able to do because I just do not have the physicality to be a stripper just not like it's it's so beyond my abilities um and I just again I find it so fascinating so Allison also got to interview Zola at her house after they have this like wild night out and you know they go back to 2015 and what what happened when people were trying to option her Twitter thread as a movie And she noted that it was kind of at a standstill and she wasn't happy with the deals she was getting. And what becomes sort of a big issue um, that Zola talks about in her interview with Allison is that David Kushner wrote a Rolling Stone article about the real Zola. And a lot of people kind of credit that article with 
what brought so much attention to the story, but I would A, say that's false because this Twitter thread obviously went viral on its own. And I think this article just gave more context to who Zola is as a person. But at its base, this story is Zola. So I guess people were having issues because to date in 2015, no one had ever tried to option a Twitter thread. And instead, they were kind of looking to this Rolling Stone article and that became the center of the deal and this really upset Zola and she says I would see certain interviews I would hear shit on the radio and it'd be like the movie Zola based off an article written by David Kushner it's not based off a fucking Rolling Stone article stop saying that shit so it really bought like rightfully so it was her story and Allison went on to say that people were treating tweets like pieces of literary writing but they weren't treating Zola like a writer and I'm, again, I think she was just obviously upset by this. And one of the first people I feel like she felt really gave her the respect that she wanted, oddly enough, was James Franco's production company called Rabbit Bandini. They actually reached out for a meeting in 2016. And conveniently, her family had moved to California at that time. And she explains, I liked him. I trusted him about James Franco. And she stops and shakes her head. Look at me, she says with some surprise. I trusted him, though. (laughs) And then she explains how when she went on set, he was reading the encyclopedia, quote, like a fucking weirdo, end quote. (laughs) Which he is. I'm sorry. And maybe also a creeper who gets with 17-year-olds. So, mm. And then she says, and then we started talking, and he was more intrigued with me than I was with him. And I'm like, stop. And he's like, so you're only 20 and you just did what? And you just, oh my gosh. I'm like, what? Stop. Mr. Franco, get out of here. You got to get to set on five. She says, mimicking how girlish her voice got as talking to a celebrity. I wondered about a white guy, but he listened. He said, I never heard no shit like that. And I said, I know you haven't. You're some rich white man. We don't live in the same reality, but I'm glad you know that. And then her mom adds in from the kitchen. We still made him wait. <laughs> I love her mom throughout the story. Guys, I'm trying to do a good job of like, uh, immersing you guys in this story without reading it all, but it is so worth a, wee- a read all the way through because it's an amazing article. It's long, but it's worth it. Every paragraph, I was just like, give me more, give me more. Bernie Spears up in here, give me more. So apparently, oddly enough, because the universe works in weird ways, Allison actually met Zola the day after she met Franco back in 2016. And she says, at the time, I was interested in following her journey through the Hollywood machine. Even then, she seemed like someone who wouldn't let the industry eat her up. And this is so cute because apparently she was pregnant with her first daughter and she invited Allison to the baby shower. And they were actually planning the event for a reality show test run, which ultimately they didn't go forward with because the producers wanted access to Zola's younger siblings and she's really protective of them and she didn't want that to happen. And so after that, she even blogged about meeting Allison and mentioned they might work together. So... After the meeting with Franco, Deadline published an announcement saying that they were going to direct the film and it was going to be written and directed by two more white men. And again, it said it was adapted from the Rolling Stone article by David Kushner. So obviously, Zola again was not happy about that. And white men, white men. <laughs> yeah, no, she, yeah, exactly. So at, when Allison was at the house, she asked if 
Zola thought the movie would have happened if it wasn't for the Rolling Stone article. And she says, absolutely. That's why I get frustrated by it, because it really didn't amp up anything. The story, the story was already what it was. It already had a life of its own. It was already in the works. It was already a thing. And again, I think that's so true. Like, she didn't need this article. Like, oh, it just frustrates me, because it's obvious that these news outlets were just trying to somehow give more legitimacy to it by quoting this Rolling Stone article. But I just don't think that needed to happen. So Franco actually dropped out in 2017. And is another kismet moment of all of this happening is that the current director is a black woman. Her name's uh, last name is Bravo. And it's so crazy because she was texted by Jodie Turner-Smith, who actually is with Pacey from Dawson's Creek, by the way. And she told Bravo that Franco was dropping out. And that's how she ended up getting involved. And the writer on it is actually also... Um, black he's a gay black man and he works on emily in paris ironically enough so i think it's how this ended up i feel like it happened for a reason and um again zola asserts that she struggles to let go of the fact that kushner's story is credited as the basis for the film and when he tried to talk to her at the movie's premiere at sundance she wouldn't speak to him and she says she feels a little bit bad about that now but it is what it is so even after everything, with this movie coming out with A24, Kushner's still getting a lot of credit for it. And she said, you know, as to how, if she was nervous about how the film would be received, she says, it was funny, me and my mom were just talking about how people who don't know me or people who judge sex workers think they've had to have some type of traumatic background to end up here. Like, oh, maybe she just had daddy issues. I'm like, I don't got none of that. I was great. I just wanted to dance. A lot of us just wanted to dance. And, uh, you know, Zola knows that that's not everyone's experience and she thinks the movie does a fair job of showing the much darker reality that can happen around the stripping industry also i i didn't talk about this but the article talks a lot about how zola actually was working at hooters um and kind of stripping on the side and she was at hooters when she meets uh stephanie who's the other girl the one who gets her to go to florida to strip um and (laughs) the guy playing stephanie's boyfriend in the movie is actually cousin greg from succession nicholas braun and i read this whole long GQ article was the British GQ about him and I was going to talk about it but again I was like I can't go like so in deep on two articles but also a pretty fun article if you want to read it um all right getting into some more that was a vulture article but that's a subset of New York mag and now we're going to get into some cut articles unpacking the backlash against the TikTok bee lady by Mia Mercado so this is about a popular TikTok account called Texas Bee Works, and the girl who runs it is named Erica Thompson, and she's known for these videos where she scoops up handfuls of bees with her bare hands, and she does a voiceover, and she explains what she's doing and how she's relocating them, and usually she has a queen with her, and she'll use the queen to get these bees to follow it, which I had no idea. I thought like bees like had their own queen, and if you couldn't bring in like just another random queen, but... I don't know. I learned a lot. (laughs) But she has 6.2 million followers on TikTok. Her videos get millions of views, likes, and people are just coming for her, apparently. So 
the first thing is that people are concerned about her safety methods because she doesn't wear protective gear. She wears dark leggings and shirts a lot and then like a chambray over it and she has blonde hair and she curls it and she has makeup on. And apparently bees don't like black colors or dark colors, which I didn't know. And apparently it's because it reminds them of their predators. And then really where the drama comes in is that there's questions about the videos being staged or fake. And she's been accused of staging colony removals or using pre-cut pieces of honeycomb. Mm, The drama, honey. And she does it in order to make the bees easier to handle. So people say even if she's going in with the suit and suit and doing the entire removal herself, she then takes off the suit and poses as bee removal Barbie holding little bits of comb, wearing inappropriate clothes with her hair down, and it's fake. This is what LA Honey Bee Rescue said in another TikTok video. This account is kind of what started all the drama because they were just going in. They're like, she's faking the job. This is not what it looks like. And Erica has not responded to these comments. I definitely think that is probably happening. I mean, social media is never what it seems. She probably would not have 6.2 million followers if she was all bundled up in bee gear. But just like I think people should be honest about plastic surgery, I think people should be honest about if they're kind of staging stuff for social media, because I'm sure they would still get the views, but I just, transparency needs to happen a little more in the social media world. Uh, There's also concern that viewers may be unaware of the major differences among bee work. So I guess there's a difference between like, you know, bee rescue and bee relocation, and there's lots of different bees, and they're just saying she's not highlighting the right things in these videos. Um... So I think is that LA Honeybee Rescue is bitter. I'm sure about the bees, but I think it's largely because they don't have 6.2 million followers on TikTok. I also couldn't find their username on TikTok because I think they were suspended and they're still suspended. And when the cut asked LA Honeybee Rescue if they've spoken with Erica since the backlash, they said that Erica sent them $100 on Vimbo. The money came with a message from Thompson saying she hoped they get their truck fixed soon because it's currently in the shop so they can get back to, quote, saving the bees. And that's the only interaction they've had with her, which screams passive aggressive to me. Like, I mean, is $100 really going to help them fix their truck? Like, I think it was just her being like, I have so much money because I have so many followers and now, so here you go, peasant. (laughs) And then the article just ends with, so what about the Trump stuff? There's also claims that Thompson is an alt-right Trump supporter. There's been no evidence to support this and appears to be purely based on rumor. The cut has reached out to Thompson and will update with any comment. And that's just how the article ends. So who knows where this will go in the future? All right, this is another thing from the animal world and this article made Kenzie and me so mad it's called more female mice by Daniela Morosini this is something I did not know and I was frankly flabbergasted so she writes today in gender biases you didn't know existed many drug trials on mice and rats i.e most drug trials are conducted only on males of the species And what the researchers say is that there's a short reproductive cycles of female rodents, which repeat every four to five days, and that could throw off the reliability of their findings. So yes, even in the animal kingdom, females are considered too hormonal to take seriously, Daniela writes. And the issue with this is by not including females in their studies, these researchers may be missing out on how hormonal shifts could interact with the medicines that we take as women. And so a doctor who's 
she's a neuroscientist. She says, the excuse that I would hear over and over again is that the estrus cycle, which is the mouse version of a menstrual cycle, would just make the data too complicated. Mm, I mean, are you getting mad? <laughs> so this actually has been shown to have real world implications. And a famous example of this is with Ambien, which is a sleep drug. So Ambien was tested on male animals, animals, wow, animals, and then on human men in the clinical trials. But then it was prescribed widely to females and it came to be found that the female body was metabolizing Ambien slower. And this was an issue because people would take Ambien to go to sleep and they would hope that by the time they woke up, it would be out of their system and wouldn't be affecting them in their waking hours. But what they found was that when women were taking it, they were waking up in the morning and they could still feel the effects. Ugh, I'm like literally getting heated like, reading about this. So finally, the FDA recommended that women be prescribed Ambien in lower doses. But it's like, OK, damn, it took a lot of trial and error for that to come to be done. And apparently things are changing on the research front, but it's happening really slowly. Back in 2016, there were some institutes that became really driven to include both sexes equitably in animal trials. And some researchers have updated their methods, but apparently there's still a lot of gray areas. So I don't know. It's just... (laughs) It's just really sad. I don't even know. And... But it ends with, you know, the doctor saying, it's not a call for women to refuse treatment or distress medical advice. She says, instead, women should feel emboldened to speak up and let their physicians know when drugs aren't working for them or create problematic side effects. But the problem is, a lot of times doctors don't even fucking listen when you tell them that. I swear, like, even women doctors, if a woman is coming to them and saying, like, this isn't working for me, I, I feel like that's happened to me. Like, when I said this birth control, like, this generic version is affecting me different than the name brand they'll be like no oh no no the generic's the same but it's like okay yeah the generic has the same active ingredient but you're not taking into account that the other ingredients in this pill might be affecting me differently and you should trust me if i'm saying it is Ugh. it's just it's frustrating what can i say all right guys we've made it to our legit shit for this episode i wanted to shout out emma lou activewear at emma lou the label.com they sent me some free workout clothes. Guys, this is monumental. I've never been like sent a free workout set before or frankly anything. So I was just so appreciative of them. And the activewear is really nice. Like it, ha- it's cool. I feel like it's innovative because it has this almost like, um, it's almost like a waist trainer, but not, it's just a legging, but it has this fabric that makes you sweat a little bit more on your stomach and it's really high waisted and I just think it's a cool, interesting concept. So check out their site. I'm so thankful for them for sending me that. Again, this, I didn't get like money. They sent it to me for free. This isn't an ad or anything. I just was thankful and wanted to shout them out. So thank you guys for listening. I hope you have an amazing Friday and weekend or whenever you're listening to this. And I will see you next week. Bye.